Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. When we deny our stories, they define us. When we own our stories, we get to write a brave new ending. The author Brene Brown issues us a challenge. When we own our own stories, we get to write a brand new ending. But there are so many stories this week. First, the Houston Astros and the Washington Nationals are even in the World Series. And no, as someone from Houston, I promise you I have not requested our canon musician to lead us in the Baby Shark Mass. <laughs> even though the Washington National Cathedral has it on their Facebook page. Second, more serious. We received news this week that from our bishop via her social media page about her son, Nathan. He's hospitalized after a very scary episode with a brain bleed, but thank God he is recovering and exceeding all of the doctor's expectations. Thank you, Jesus. Or three, we've seen further examples this week of ongoing bitterness and discord in Washington, D.C. between members of Congress and the president, including the investigating of investigators and the attempts to keep certain witnesses safe from eternal threat, external threats or harm. There's some bad, bad, bad behavior going on, and we need to ask, is it defining us or not? We also need to ask if we are enabling it or are we preventing it? Do we propagate or promote the bad behavior in these stories that we hear? Or do we summon everyone to new stories to bring out the better angels of our nature? I wonder. We have to be so very careful when we start examining our shared stories. These stories we tell ourselves every day about us or about our neighbors. The stories we tell ourselves about people who are different than we are. We have to be aware of the false narratives that we play. Those messages that are in our minds that trick us. Are we the people who Jesus tells this story to? The people who trust in ourselves and our righteousness and regard others with contempt? Maybe a little bit? Look at this brilliant but very simple parable. Two men go to the temple, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee it's this religious guy, this man whom even the disciples themselves would look up to someone like them and say, this guy's in the in crowd. And this guy's in the temple. He recites his prayers with boldness while the tax collector, an absolutely despised man who has no friends and no decency, can utter hardly any words at all. 
Now we have to remember that the ways in which people prayed in Jesus' day is slightly different than the way we pray now. Faithful Jews prayed by reciting psalms or elaborate prayers that they had memorized. They were in their heart, but they were rarely, rarely very personal. They rarely made anything personal, so it rarely made anybody very vulnerable before God. So it's most likely in our story about our Pharisee that that Pharisee was reciting a part of Psalm 17 verses 3 through 5 out loud in a very proud way because he had it memorized. While the tax collector, the guy that probably didn't get to the temple very much at all, the man who isn't, isn't particularly religious, who is probably a little fearful of the life that he's built up. It's never really been what he wanted, but it's his life, and, he's feel, and he feels that he's screwed up a lot of things. This guy doesn't know any prayers. This guy can't recite any psalms by heart. This guy doesn't even know why he's there, but all he knows is that he desperately needs God. And so he can barely enter that sacred space where the men pray. He can barely breathe. He's so nervous. He can barely even utter these words. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He can barely say them. Yet there he is. And Jesus takes ownership in this story, and he makes it out to be about the kingdom of God. He totally flips the story. He calls this tax collector justified, and he sends him home rejoicing. It's inconceivable in some ways how this story ends. The bad guy is actually the good guy who God lifts up and exalts. And the tax collector owns his story. All of it, even though he can hardly say a word, and God, still with great joy, claims him. The stereotypes that Jesus uses in this story turn the story and the situation upside down. The despised one is exalted, and the admired guy is kind of brought low. What would an original hearer of this story have felt? Probably shock, surprise, maybe even a little guilty. The author Fleming Rutledge has a good analysis because she looks at all kinds of life stories like this all the time and she remarks how quickly we consign our fellow human beings to moral oblivion how quickly we consign our fellow human beings to moral oblivion. She continues, the Christian gospel is more radical and more inclusive than you or I would ever dream up. It is good news for the godless, which reminds us to be more careful about stereotyping others reminds us to be more careful about stereotyping others. But we still do it. 
we put people in a box and consider them in this way or that way. We want to make our feel, ourselves feel better when we think we have the whole world figured out. But if we had the whole world figured out, we'd be God and not ourselves, right? Maybe that's the problem. Stereotyping is something that humans have done since the beginning of time. We have to make sense of things that aren't easily explainable. So we simplify in ways that diminish the humanity of others. Labeling a certain type of person as beautiful or popular or erudite or fascinating while labeling others as weak, lazy, ugly, dumb, or something far worse. And we start a slow and destructive trajectory of denying our real-life story, denying to others our real-life's story. And then that denial seeps into our very own souls, and we start denying our life's story even to ourselves. And Jesus' parable calls us out on this. Anyone who heard this for the first time would have thought the story would have ended differently, but it doesn't. The guy who is despised by people is the guy whom God casts favor onto because of his sincerity of heart. Because the tax collector owns up to his real story. And Jesus' brilliance in teaching this way is that if we really sit down and listen to Jesus, the master storyteller, we see a little bit of both characters inside each one of us. Both characters in us. So what are we called to do? Well, for starters, we're called to own up to our own stories. We have to look within, and we have to see how we really are the Pharisee and the tax collector. We're the people who want to look good in front of everybody else, but we're also the people about whom some part of our lives have been really hard, or some part of our lives have not gone our way. Or something about our past continues to hurt us. Or something that is going on right now in the present that is hurting us. And we have to be like that tax collector. And take a deep breath. Have a little courage. And say sincerely, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It might be the hardest thing you ever say, but it also might be the most relieving because you're letting God claim you as God's own forever. Our stories of our lives are mixtures of triumphs and tragedies. I know mine has been and I know yours has been as well. But when we do this work internally, for ourselves, we can help others then, we can help lead others to do this kind of work too. 
as individuals, but we can also help lead others to do this work collectively as a society. When we approach God's throne of grace like the tax collector who can barely do anything, he's so intimidated and nervous about approaching God. When we approach God and know that God wants to claim us and know our story, that God wants to know everything about our story as genuinely as we can tell it, then we can help our greater society tell our story about everything that concerns us as a people. Everything. By owning up to our story, we can help our society own up to our collective story. When we can approach the mercy of God with such sincerity and truth for ourselves, then we can lead others to the same place to confront the really tough problems of our day. Things that people have never been able to solve. Racism, economic injustices. To genuinely and sincerely with an open heart unpack further the brokenness of our immigration policy. To earnestly desire, to create a holy desire among all the people of the earth to be reconcilers, to be peacemakers, to be healers of our beloved city of Phoenix. Or collectively to be the healing balm that's placed in the middle of all these open wounds right now that we call America or to be the people that cry the tears of Jesus and rain a healing rain upon the lands of this earth and our environment and shift the scene from one of despair and fear and discord to one genuinely of hope and grace and love. To take those stereotypes that we've inherited from our parents or our grandparents or our culture or, other, or, 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 or our peoples and to throw them out once and for all and to realize that we are both the Pharisee and the tax collectors. We are both righteous and worthy of contempt. And that the holy presence of God's divine love through Jesus will love us, will make us whole, will make us well, will make us be able to grow up, to claim our belovedness, to say goodbye to our past mistakes and say hello to a future that is better, not just for ourselves, but a future that is better for everyone. But it starts by entering God's holy temple, being here, right here, right now, taking a deep breath and having absolute assurance the ultimate nature of God is mercy, grace, and the most abundant love that you'll ever know, and that God his very self, God's self, will claim us. 
When we deny our stories, they define us. When we own our stories, we get to write a brave new ending. What's your brave new ending going to be?